very exciting topic for me. It's um, something that I grew up with and in my generation. A little for me, guys in age. Um, it wasn't talked about very much. The Holy Spirit was kind of a secret. Um, and my father, my earthly father, was very intense and adamant about understanding And so, you get to be here today and share with you this book. Sorry. I don't know if any of you have read um, Not a Fan, but there's a small portion in that book that he talks about a story, I guess kind of his imagination. He, the author, gets to go, I mean, he's, he's gone to heaven. And he's in heaven, and he's getting to meet Moses and Elijah, and all the great characters, and he's so excited. And he's like, oh, I just can't wait to get to Moses. And he's like, oh, tell me about the great sea. I can't imagine being there when God arrives. And then he gets to get to Elijah. What was Mount Carmel? I cannot imagine fire coming down and you being as all of these prophets and, and you winning. What an exciting time to live. And in his story, Moses and Elijah, they look at him and say, Wow. But you live when the Holy Spirit could live in you. We didn't have that. We had the Holy Spirit, and He was among us. But you live in an era where the Holy Spirit lives in you. What's that like? Can you imagine having Moses and Elijah be curious about what your life is like, having the of the Spirit, than what our curiosity would be like with talking to Moses and Elijah, reading their, their most amazing stories. And that's what we're exploring today. And so most of us have come from like three perspectives, and we're going to break it down that way, of what our uh, understanding or perspective of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The first one is that some of us come from like just a scary and overwhelming idea that, whoo, who is this? It's like, you know, boogie boogie. And... I don't know what to do, and I'm just, I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't even, I can't even see what that's like. So I'm just kind of going to close my eyes and just try to, to, just try to pretend like he's not there, okay? Some of us come from a perspective where uh, he's magical, and everywhere we go, something happens, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. And we go over here, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. And it's magical, and it's and, and we just kind of make it up as we go, working on the knowledge. The third perspective is that we work strictly intellectually, that we can only perceive what is written down. We can only conceive what is black and white. We can only work with scientific facts. And so we put him in a box. Can you relate to any of those three? Has that been your experience? The Holy Spirit is intended to be understood. Maybe not fully. It may not be until the Lord comes. I mean, it won't be until the Lord comes that we fully understand what His, how big His purpose is and how wonderful His availability in our lives is. But it's not supposed to be hidden. And it's not supposed to be so mysterious that we just can't even access it. And I fear that our perspectives have, have led us that direction. And so that's what we'd like to address today. That's what we'd like to attack in your lives. So that you're not limited by most wonderful, wonderful precious we've been given. But to do that, we have to do three things. First, we must want to understand. Want it. Um, John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 2 
Second of all, we must want to do greater things. John 14, 12 says, Jesus tells his disciples, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Okay, stop right there. Whoa. We have to do what Jesus has been doing. Right there, it's pretty cool, all right? And then he says, Jesus says, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to do. It is greater than what Jesus but that's what he said. You will do greater things. We, will, we need to want to do greater things. We must want to abide in him. We must want to live with him. You guys are picking roommates, picking mates, and you're choosing people to live with. We must want the Holy Spirit to live with us. And that's when our understanding begins to change. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. <coughs> so we're going to kind of, we're going to begin breaking down how we can understand how to live in the Spirit. And we're going to first start by definition. Um, um, all of you probably can't, will admit, maybe not out loud, but, you know, us girls, we have or have had that list of what we think a great guy is, okay? And so that's a very important list. And we think about it for a long time, and we examine it, and we have certain things that, that really seem great. Well, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we need to know Him. And let me clarify, he's a he. He's not an it. He's a he. And we need to know his characteristics. Just like, not for the same reason, but just like you're as curious as you are about, like, the guy that you found. First of all, here's, the, here's five characteristics that you can go to the bank. Okay? First one is he is person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's very important. He's meant to be known. And so we cannot go around thinking, you know, oh, the Father is, I love the Father, and the Son has done so much for me, and the Holy Spirit, off the way. He is someone to get to know, and that changes us. Second, he is holy. He is perfect. Uh, I don't know how many of you have that characteristic on your list for a guy, but good luck, okay? But on this list, the Holy Spirit is perfect. He is fully capable of doing all that the Father calls him to do, okay? Um, he's so perfect that it required the Father to sacrifice his only begotten Son for him, for his spirit to be able to live in The Holy Spirit is so perfect that he can't just move in on you when you have not accepted Jesus. You have not, you have not acknowledged the sacrifice that was, was done on your behalf. He cannot come to that. That has taken place. That's how perfect he is. And that's to your benefit. That's to your benefit. We'll keep talking about that. He is spirit. He is one with the Father and the Son. He can be everywhere. He's not limited by flesh and blood. And he only does what the Father tells him to do. He is God's spirit. But God's spirit now has capacity to live in you. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The fourth characteristic. Okay, now we're going to even get a little bit closer. He's a counselor. But Jesus called him. I'm sending you a counselor, John 14, 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. 
John 16, 13 says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Is that not the kind of counsel that fire in your life? Is there a reason not to trust this kind of counselor? Many of you have counseling experience, have been through counseling, and you're still working through counseling. To know that you have a perfect, holy, one with God counselor living in you. Is that not the greatest Why would we shy away from that? Why would we close our ears or limit, put him in a box? He is not going to leave you high and dry. He is not going to give you bad advice. You might not like his advice, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good advice. And the fifth characteristic is he is proof of our inheritance. He is a guarantee, a deposit. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We were separated. We were separated from God. And Jesus is the one who, who saved us. He brought us back together with God. He gave us forgiveness of all that past. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Now we get to walk into transformation. We get to live a new life that is, that is transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens, is that God has now allowed His Spirit to live in you, and now He's going to change you from the inside out. That's a wonderful, wonderful guarantee. And so as you look at your life, and as you are walking this walk in Christ, the fact that your life is changing at all, however incrementally, is proof. It's proof. That you, that the Spirit is in you, is proof that you have, you have your, <laughs> you have your life on what can make you more and more like this. Okay, let's now let's do a little demonstration. These girls are going to come up and share something with you just to help with a, a visual or kind of some of the things that we're going to talk about. Just to set the stage just a little bit, and the rest I'm leaving up to your imagination. Kelly, main character here, she's an unbeliever. guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
in regard to sin because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands, stands condemned. His job at this point in our lives as, as an unbeliever is to convict us of guilt. This is important. This is good news. Unless we're convicted, we will not progress into Christ. So he's about doing three things. First, he's going to uh, illuminate the fact that we are sinful. It's going to come to our attention. That's what he's working on. Okay? If I mean, if you're blocking completely, you might not get that. Okay? But that's his job. And so things that are happening to you as an unbeliever are like, they're not fun because they, they remind you of what it feels like to wake up from that party and how awful you feel, all right? And so he is very busy at convicting us of sin. Number two, he is very busy at demonstrating that we cannot be righteous, that it is only the righteousness of Christ that is going to have any good effects on our life. So as we get up from that sinful moment and we go, oh, I'm never doing that again, and you know, I'll, I'll willpower myself, and we try again, we fail. We fail on purpose because it was never intended to work that way. Okay? And so we are being reminded from the Holy Spirit that only His righteousness is going to have an effect on our lives. And third, he's going to, he's going to communicate the message to us that the devil has been condemned. We need to know that our enemy is, we, we have a chance. We have, there is a hope that he cannot defeat us if we will listen to the, to the good message that is coming our way. Um, as we reach out to others, I mean, if you're if you are a believer, this was your experience. Whether or not you have a categorized number of an identifier or not, this is what was happening to you as you were walking into the influence of Christ. Okay, and so now, as believers that are reaching out to the lost world, it's good for us to know that you're not reaching out to someone all by yourself. The Holy Spirit, He is at work. And He's grateful that He has you to demonstrate, like, just like these girls did, demonstrate His message to people in, in many, many forms. Okay, But He is working along with you. And that is good news for you to know as you are working with others and wondering, you know, And this is good news. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. This is the roadmap to, um, into coming to Christ, into coming to a decision to, to choose Christ. Okay, let's do this one more time, ladies. Let's journey one more time. This time... Kelly, she's a believer. She's made her choice. Hey, Kelly.
And we go, oh, God, bless him. Such a good God. And then we walk over here and we have some debacles. We have some failures. And we say, God's punishing me. He doesn't love me as much as he used to love me. I don't know what I did wrong. I only want to be a nurse. And so we are like, we're confused as to, you know, how do I do this? How do I walk? How do I keep in step with the Spirit? I'm trying, but this is what's happening. Then, as we begin accomplishing a few of our goals in our life, as it goes, we experience dissatisfaction. Like, nothing's hard. They didn't tell me I was going to have to wipe poop. Uh, you know, I didn't know that that of our shifts would wear me out so much. Um, I can't do this and be married. I can't do this and have children. And so these grandiose dreams that are ours have now become like, Ugh. and we're like, I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to move on to something else. And so we're like, here we are again, kind of finding our way around. Well, I think maybe I'll do this. I think maybe I'll do that. The next thing that happens, if we care about our walk, okay, if we're in the Word, if we're understanding, just like we just read, or referred to in Galatians 5.22 about the fruits of the Spirit, we're, we're with a body of believers, we're watching other people walk to preach and walk, we're seeing the fruits of the Spirit being produced in people's lives. And we look at our life, we go... I'm not doing so good on that patience thing. Don't know why. I guess God is punishing me. And so our thinking begins to just be miswired on how what the Holy Spirit's purpose in our life is supposed to look like. So we become discouraged. The last thing I want to describe was my experience. And I think that you can relate, I think we can all relate, is that once you get to that point where you're, you're trying to get your dreams and your goals fulfilled, and you think that God's on your team, and you're, you, know, you know you're supposed to be producing the fruits of the Spirit, then you're like, oh, that's not going so good. I'll only let people see me when I'm looking good. I will only let people see me at, during my successes. But when my failures go on, oh, man, I'm out. I'm hidden. I'm not talking about that, okay? Because all I'm showing is that I, you know, I'm not, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is actually not such a bad point in your life. Although it takes quite a bit of experience and time, maybe to come to this realization, many defeats to find out this isn't working, but finally someone comes into your life and looks you in the eye and says, how's that working for you? And you fall into a puddle, a big mess, and says, I can't do this. I can't do this life. God's expecting too much from me. It's not working. And before you think that that line is just a Mama Carol line, let me read you what the Apostle Paul had to say, okay? Galatians 5, 7, and 8, that same chapter. He says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Now look at Romans 6, 21. What benefit, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just jump right down to the next chapter. This is the Apostle Paul himself, talking about himself, not somebody else. After he's just described the struggle, and in verse 24, he says, What a wretched man. 
This is the best point of your Christian walk life. When you can say, I am wretched. I cannot do this on my own. But the good news is, is that there's a better way. There's a better way. Starting in five, and we'll read a little bit and see if you can pick out what the difference is. 
Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but when governed by the Spirit, it's life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, and it can't. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does, have, does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, when even through your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life, life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to the mortal bodies of his spirit who live in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It is not to the flesh and live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you can fear once again. Rather, the spirit you received bought by your adoption into sonship. And by him, we cry, I'm a father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. And we are God's children. Now, we are children. We are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So if you can pick out the differences... A life with sin is death. It cannot please God. It cannot submit to his perfect plan that he has for us. But a life that's surrendering to the Spirit's plan, no condemnation, set free. Our minds are set on different things. They're set on the Spirit's desires. We have a mind change. We have life and peace. We have power that we cannot imagine. The same power that raised him from the dead lives in you. We forget that. We were talking in our room this morning. It's like, man, we forget we have that power living in us. It is power we can't understand, but we have it. And we belong. We are adopted into his sonship. We're heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. So when we surrender, we're determined to surrender to his, his plan. Then we can expect these things. That's another thing that I miss a lot, is to expect God to do what he said he's going to do. We can expect these things, and it sounds pretty good to me. Um, so how do you know if, if you are determined? Wait. How do you determine if you're determined? Sorry, I was like, what did I write? Um, we're continually engaged. It takes work. When you're determined to do something, then you're engaged in it. Um, wrestling, discovering, rediscovering, redefining things, um, and God's word to live a spirit-filled life. So the next point is direction and confidence. How do we know we're going in the right direction? Um, so we're going to be in 1 John um, 2. Um, we're going to be there for the rest of the time if you want to turn there. But John is giving us prescription for being spirit-led. So let me give you a couple of things of, of how do we know, okay? A prescription of how do we know we're living in the spirit. So starting in 1 John 2, verse 20, the first one is know the truth. And verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And he said earlier, you've had it from the beginning. Okay? And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is a liar? The one who denies Jesus is Christ. Such a person is an antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So if you were in Gordon and Zach Dasher's class, they described very well what truth is. You know, you look at a life, a life scenario and are like, should I do that? And instead of looking at it, that is wrong, then that is a lie. It is opposite of truth. 
the spirit equals truth. So go back and listen to that, and it describes that really well. The truth leads to no shame and lie, and that list that I kind of mentioned earlier, and a lie leads to shame and to death. To know the truth, we have to read his words. The Spirit from the beginning inspired the work, inspired this. He didn't just inspire it and, and just like, oh, you don't have to read it. He illuminates it today for us and for other people. He inspired it and he illuminates the Word of God. So we need to be reading it. Part of knowing is knowing that God will use his people. Okay? And every time that I have sat down and read and God uses what, what I read, it's useful. Uh, reading and setting down is not my strength. That's, I had, this is a, had to be a learned thing for me to make myself do this. But the Spirit has given me a purpose in reading and that has helped because I want to read to get to know the truth of what, what I want my life to look like and what I'm to live out. It is important for us to know the truth, and we have it right here in our hands. The second one is do what is right. So picking up back in 1 John chapter 2, starting at 28 29. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Let's read verse 28 again. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Carol talked about abiding in him, and that's a big part of doing what is right. In Ephesians 3.12, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can't approach God, we can't approach him if we're not remaining in him. Remaining in him, that we are confident and unashamed. Part of what's doing, doing what is right is remaining in him. Another part we find in 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 2. I'll kind of skip around a little bit. It says, starting in verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. All who have us hope in him purify themselves just as he was. Skipping down to verse 7. Dear, ch dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. No one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And in verse 10, this is how we know who children of God are and who are his children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love your brother or sister. Doing what is right is remaining in God and looking and acting like Him. We're upright, we're unashamed, we're confident, we're pure when we're remaining in Him or looking like Him. So we have a choice. We have a choice to change how we approach life differently than what we did last week, what we did last month, and what we did last year. We have a choice to do that and can start doing what is right and realize the opportunities that we have in front of us to tell people um, about God. And I'm not meaning to be perfect, and I'll get into that, um, but doing what is right is remaining in Him and looking like Him. Um, the next one is stop sinning or don't keep sinning. In 1 John 3, 4 through 9 says, Everyone who breaks the law, in fact, sins lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so you might take away our sins, and in him there's no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appears to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. They cannot keep on sinning, because they have been born of God. This passage is not teaching about the possibility of sinless perfection. Okay? Um, perfection is what the world wants us to look like. Kind of what Carol was describing. The only, you know, the world only wants us to see the perfect side, okay? And that fake perfection. Um, but we don't want to look like that. We don't want to look like we're fake, like we have this, you know, act going on. But we want to be changed. We want the world to see the change that is present in our life. Uh, that we're remaining in Him, that we're upright, that we're loving people in daily life. I was studying with a girl, and we were kind of at the end of our study, and she was kind of, I don't know if I want to get baptized, she was really studying it, and it was really hitting her hard, and so we were just kind of sitting there, and it was silent. And she looked up at me, and she said, Kelsey, if you can be saved, I can be saved. <laughs> she could see my perfection. Okay, she saw my change, that my past is different than how I'm living now. Not that I always do it perfect, and when I do mess up, then I'm honest with people, and I tell people about it to help me keep accountable, because I don't want to keep on sinning. So let the people see your change, and be honest with people. Next, one, lay your life down for your brothers and sisters. Starting in verse 10, chapter 3. This is how we'll know that we're children of God, who are children of the devil are. Do what is right, that last part, nor is anyone that does not love their brother or sister. Skipping down to 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ had, died, had laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay ourselves, our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession or sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Laying down your life. Obviously, God gave us an example of that. How does it look when we lay our life down for a brother and sister? We live life together. We have the mindset that nothing is ours. Your material possessions aren't yours. Your story is not yours. Your life's not yours because he gave it to you in the first place. And having that mindset. Laying your life down is the essence of loving your brother and sister. That's how they know. It's bigger than, that's mine, I'll do it myself, I want to do what I want to do. It's bigger than that. Those are things my two-year-old says. She doesn't get it. You're capable of doing it, of getting it. Okay? It's not about you and laying your life down. Laying your life down is an action. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, do not let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Actions that match up to his words. Not actions that we make up that think that would be loving to each other or in truth, but matching to his words. We have to know the truth to act in truth. It's more than words and speech. Often when we use just words, then it's about us, or people can perceive that it's about us, but when our actions are meeting or meeting what the word says and what you're feeling, what your heart is feeling, then it's hard to dispute okay, that, that love that we have for each other and that we are acting out of love. Um, and when people are seeing you, um, that, that y'all are loving each other, that you're loving your brother and sister, that you're laying yourself down, that you're not sinning, then their doubt of who this God is and who the Spirit is will start turning into truth. The last one, rest in peace. In 1 John, I'll start in verse 3, verse 19 through 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts on rest in his presence. For our hearts can condemn us. We know that God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Dear friends, your heart does not con um, do not condemn us. We have confidence before God and receive, receive from Him anything we ask. 
because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as, we, as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And now we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. So when we know the truth, and we do what is right, and we don't keep sinning, uh, we love our brothers and sisters, we lay our life down, we're acting in truth, then we have rest and peace. Don't forget that you're not doing these alone. Don't forget that power. Don't forget who lives in you. This is not on your course. We can't do it alone. This is what the Spirit provides us. Don't forget that power. These are the promises of the Spirit. And when we begin to trust these and experience these, you know, when I experience the Spirit, and I'm like, okay, now I know. Okay? But trusting them and experiencing them, then it'll lead us away from that discouragement that we saw earlier. And it will lead us into lives marked by confidence. There's that difference, that confidence that we can stand up and we can say, I'm going to do it different this time. Because I have a different tool that's living in me. Um, we have that power in the midst of our weaknesses. Our weaknesses don't go away, but we have the power that's much greater to combat that. And we have the fruit of the Spirit. So allow the Spirit to work, not by your power, not by your plan, but His power and His plan. Thank you, ladies. Let's pray. Dear God, we just love you so much and just wrapping up this lesson about being spirit-led and just thank you. Thank you for realizing that the spirit is better than you and allowing us, the spirit to live within us in that power. I just pray as we start wrapping up this retreat and that we are just discovering new things, that we are determined and we take that confidence and, and we use it. And we recognize that the Spirit is living in us. So thank for all the ladies that are here. And um, we just love you and thank you so much. Amen.